This is The School Bell, brought to you by Independent Schools Queensland, the peak body promoting, supporting and developing Queensland's independent schools. It was important for me to find a school that was suitable for both my kids. Parents are very savvy about school choice, that independent schools are providing what parents want. Highly accomplished and lead teachers are doing amazing things every day in the classroom. I think the leader needs to be authentic, really believe in a, in a vision and, and have a direction to lead uh, the employees and the team. Hello, I'm Shari Armistead, Director of Strategic Relations at Independent Schools Queensland and welcome to The School Bell. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Dr Andreas Richter. Andreas is a university lecturer in the Organisational Behaviour Subject Group at Judge Business School, University of Cambridge. He's also a trained psychologist who specialised in industrial and organisational psychology, holds a PhD in management and is a certified client-centred counsellor. Welcome, Andreas. Thank you for having me here. It's great to have you here uh, all the way um, down the line from Cambridge. It's um, such a privilege. Thank you for agreeing to do this and talk to us at the school bell. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So would you briefly define organisational behaviour and why it's such an important area for leaders to take note of? Sure. Um, It is the study of individuals, groups and structure, um, that, that these different elements have on behavior within organizations um, in order to improve an organization's effectiveness. And that usually means both performance and employee well-being. So in a sense, it deals with all the soft stuff that can be hard to manage, but it's usually important in affecting both the bottom line and the development of employees. It's funny when you say soft stuff, isn't it? Because it does give a bit of a connotation to things that it's not important, but it really is important, isn't it? Yes. It's probably rather um, thinking about people who uh, come from finance or have uh, come from other disciplines where there are more, I'd say, uh, tangible problems. They may disagree with me now. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I would in particular say that uh, this is not. Um, this is about uh, people management issues, which tend to be fussy and don't necessarily have a clear-cut solution. So, what drew you to this area of study and this ongoing work? So, I was fascinated about how people can benefit or suffer from working in teams, in particular, and I had a, a strong interest in creativity and innovation. So, I felt that these are important areas to study, and this is this is what draw me to what drew me to organizational behavior. So there's decades of organizational behavior research to draw upon, of course. So what are the main findings that leaders should be aware of, in summary, of course, and why? So, of course, there there are many and many different areas in organizational behavior. If we think about the design of work itself or think about leadership or working in teams or motivating employees, all of these areas belong to OB. Um, So I would single out one element, perhaps, uh, leadership. And I think um, so. A, a very important finding is that leaders can indeed influence their employees in both positive and negative ways, uh, and they can do so directly by influencing employees through their behavior. But can, they can also do so indirectly by creating the conditions for their employees to ideally thrive, right? Um, or by, for instance, uh, designing the work that employees um, are working on. 
You recently led the Transformational Leadership in Turbulent Times course that was held via Zoom, and I was fortunate to take part in that. I was disappointed, of course, not to be able to go to Cambridge. However, it was a great alternative to still be able to do that course when the pandemic prevented us travelling, despite the time difference between the UK and Brisbane. Um, But will you offer more of those online courses like that? Yes, of course. I think we we always had in uh, some offers there, but now with COVID-19, in a sense, the development uh, sped up quite a bit, and we um, developed a broader portfolio of, uh, of, of courses that we offer online. So for those who haven't heard of it before, what is transformational leadership? So transformational leadership is about inspiring and motivating employees and irrespective of formal authority. So this this type of leadership that appeals to both the heart and the mind of employees. So what are some of the practical things that school leaders in particular, as this is the school bell, um, what can school leaders do to become transformational? So at a minimum, I would say two things. So the first is to in- increase understanding and in- in- in increase knowledge in this area, uh, to learn about, for instance, what are the key ingredients of transformation leadership, so there are the, as you you know, uh, the uh, the four I's we call them: uh, idealized influence, inspirational motivation, intellectual stimulation, and individualized consideration. So, an understanding um, and knowledge about what they mean, I think, will already go a long way. Um, the second point is to increase self-awareness, and this can be done with uh, high-quality feedback as. A starting point of one's own leadership style. For instance, through 360 feedback, uh, through mentors, through coaches, um, through colleagues at work. So all of these, all of these uh, different elements, and many more, of course, can contribute to an increase in self-awareness on one's own leadership style. So, okay, in summary then, uh, we have to be aware of especially the four eyes of what it means to be a transformational leader and then you can recognise it. Self-awareness, so you can look at yourself and analyse how you are going, but also seeking that feedback from especially the 360 type of things and coaching and mentoring. Is that right? I think this is a good starting point, right? So in a sense, any change in leadership is a, is a journey. It's, it's, it's not a one-off Um um, but this certainly is a good starting point to embark on that journey and to start uh, changing elements of one's leadership style. Yeah, That's right. I mean, we often are saying uh, education, lifelong learning, and I remember saying that probably 30 years ago, and now I'm still saying it, and I really, really mean it, because it is a lifelong learning, isn't it? Especially in leadership, it just never stops. Definitely, and I think the demands for leadership, they're constantly changing as well, as COVID just taught us again, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, leaders, I think, uh, need to constantly sharpen their saw, need to be constantly further developing their approaches. And, of course, also with the change in the workforce, right? So we have a, um, new generations coming to work, which require a different touch, a different leadership style than older generations. And all of these things require um, constant reflection and further development of leadership. Simulations are a big part of the course, that uh, transformational leadership course. Why are they an important learning tool? So simulations can help to effectively isolate a focal behavior, a behavior that one wants to really uh, circle in on um, and to practice that behavior in a safe environment in possibly even a playful way. 
So if well-designed, high-quality simulations can be great for that, right? They can enable learning by doing, and they're also quite interactive and fun. And if you see in other areas uh, of training and development, for instance, think about aviation. Um, simulations are, are hugely important and very well integrated as part of the training. I use scenarios in face-to-face crisis management training here. Um, would you please explain how simulations work online? So the simulations that we employ are team-based simulations. So participants work remotely but synchronously on real teams via Zoom or alternative platforms. So this is like a virtual team meeting via a video conference, right? So these simulations are highly interactive and they can bring online teaching alive. They allow alternating the rhythm and to bring in fresh elements uh, to the class. I must say, having experienced it, it was very challenging. It was also a great learning experience because uh, I've certainly done plenty face-to-face and, as I said, taught them as well. But to take part online where you are relying on other people a lot and you also have to rely on technology, that's what it's designed for, isn't it? It's that practical as possible experience. Yes, I think so. So, the, I mean, uh, there are certainly uh, critiques of uh, of simulations, and they often refer to, you know, this is in the end just a simulation, and uh, you know, it is not the real thing, and that is true. But if a simulation is well designed, it allows one to um, sort of focus on the the most important parameters and possibly even accentuate them in a, a safe environment to practice, and and this can be really invaluable, and it can accelerate learning. So the pandemic has necessitated so much change, but then we should all be used to change by now with the rapid technological changes even before COVID-19. So how do leaders prepare for change? Whichever type of change we're looking at, it will challenge the leader both personally and in terms of being an effective change agent. So leaders look into their own preparedness for turbulent times to sharpen their saw ahead of time in a preparatory fashion. Um, a psychometric assessment may be helpful here and provide a useful self-assessment as well. So, for instance, we have in our course uh, incorporated some of these uh, psychometric assessments. And leaders should also think about how they can ready their employees and teams in advance. And this may include instilling a team climate and fostering team processes that are conducive to change. Um, Amy Edmondson's work on the importance of psychological safety in teams is an excellent example here. Right, So leaders who manage to foster psychological safety in their teams will put their teams in a better position to deal with change. So the psychological safety, just briefly, that's when they feel safe and trust. There's an awful lot of trust there so that they're safe to make mistakes and bring those to the notice of their leader rather than hide them. Is that the sort of thing? Yes. High on psychological safety uh, are, are teams where the climate and the culture uh, where employees view errors and mistakes as learning opportunities rather than having to be afraid of, uh, of, of, of getting the blame for, for every mistake they make. And this just has a, um, a, qu- a quite different effect on how they behave in teams and how much you need they learn in their teams. So the, the very uh, best high-performing teams indeed uh, tend to have on average high levels of psychological safety, which is one of the key things that makes a difference. And as you say, preparedness, you can't know every, we didn't know about a pandemic coming, obviously, you can't know every crisis or every change that is about to happen to us, but you can prepare in theory and in practice through some simulations, which again helps you 
become better when the eventuality occurs. So there is a difference, of course, between crisis management and change management leadership. So I'd like to take each of those separately, if we may. Uh, Crisis management, such as the pandemic, how does one prepare for that? Okay, so in my view, one way of thinking about this is to think about two different types of change. So the first, the crisis, is a change that overwhelms us and can't really be anticipated, but requires us to react to it and adapt on the spot. Take the COVID-19 crisis, right? Here the leader can focus on her or his preparedness for change, but then would need to manage a largely unpredictable crisis situation practically as a matter of urgency on the spot. The bold actions may be required and the leader may need to make decisions under uncertainty, not having all relevant information at hand. So secondly, uh, there is change where leaders are more in the driving seat. Yeah? So not, not the crisis situation, but if you want uh, change that can proactively be planned and initiated by the leader. Here the leader can design strategies in advance for rolling out the change systematically and anticipate contingencies. And this does not mean, of course, that this type of change would not have any unpredictable elements. Uh, certainly it does, but perhaps to a lesser extent. And here, of course, um, Cotter's work has been very influential uh, in providing a sort of framework on how to provide, how to approach this type of change. So in some, for me, the key difference is really one is a type of change where we cannot be really prepared, but we can increase our preparedness in advance. Whereas the other type of change is one where we are more in the driving seat. I think it's important, isn't it, to be able to change your leadership style throughout a crisis, is that right? Is depending on the way you react? Definitely. There are two important elements to these crisis situations. One is the focus on myself. What are my strengths and weaknesses and limitations in extreme situations? What type of leadership is most likely coming out uh, when I'm under pressure? But also even much broader, um, am I actually prepared for, for stress situations? What are the important parameters for me? How can I be better prepared myself on a personal level? The second element is dealing with others, right? Uh, leading others in a crisis situation and here being flexible, having a more flexible repertoire on, on, on leadership can certainly be very helpful because um, in the end, leadership should serve uh, those we mean to lead, right? And um, they will have different needs and a leader who can uh, flexibly adjust to those different needs um, is probably going to be a better leader. Interestingly, as you said, with change management, then the difference is you can prepare. So something like a new digital or ICT rollout, um, obviously, you know, in advance it's coming. It might have a lot of different phases to it, but it is a huge change management. What are the biggest things that you shouldn't shouldn't do in change management? So definitely, I think um, the motivational issues surrounding change and uh, and also the uh, getting started on the right foot. Um, so, so having an, an inclusive vision for change right from the start, having all relevant stakeholders, uh, you know, being part of the guiding coalition. These are very important elements. If they if they are done wrongly uh, right from the beginning, they may backfire later in the process. But also, one should never forget that many complex change projects are long, tedious processes where people lose motivation and they, they may not see the benefits of it right away. They may show much later. So organizations should really be prepared for this and think about how they can, they can create quick wins 
how they can anchor the change, institutionalize it in the organizational culture, um, and what else they can do to complement the change. For instance, what changes in the performance matrix in the reward structure are necessary. Um, how would they need to um, change the culture um, to sort of implement the change? All of these elements are very important so that the change truly becomes sustainable. Yes, it's interesting because, as you say, all of these, all change management really does focus on the people elements, and that's where the organisational behaviour research is so important, isn't it? Taking note of people and how they have to be catered for in different ways. There's definitely quite a bit of research that suggests that one of the biggest impediments to effective change management is resistance from the people. And this, of course, um, uh, you know, puts the focus squarely on OB factors. Um, what is it that leads to resistance to change? Uh, and what can we do as managers, uh, you know, to, um, to, to take away the fears and the uncertainties and to increase the motivation of employees to embrace the changes? And um, that will make the change certainly much more effective. So it is to a large extent, irrespective of which change we're talking about, um, the people factor in resisting the change is, is huge. So are leaders born or made, do you think, or a combination of both? So this is a great question that leadership researchers have tried to answer over the past 80 years the least, I think. So we know from twin studies uh, that approximately 30% of leadership is due to hereditary factors and 70% to the rest. And the rest includes training, opportunities, education, socialization, this is, of course, of course um, great news for us because it means we can further develop our leadership style. We can change as leaders. We can further develop. So this, in a sense, is, a, is very encouraging and positive research. So what does it take, in your opinion, to be a great leader? If I think about great leaders in the, in, in the public eye, I see, I see people who are great in one element but maybe weak in others of leadership. Right, but certainly, what comes to mind right away is, if I think about it, uh, people like Michelle Obama, uh, people like uh, the late Steve Jobs. Although obviously, there's been uh, he's been criticised for his interpersonal side of the leadership, but he certainly was very visionary. A key element, uh, certainly, is always that great leaders have self-awareness. They're driven by by what they want to change, and they uh, and you can see it and you believe it in them. Yeah, they inspire. They inspire followers, right? So they uh, they don't need to be in a leadership position for that. They inspire followers. Um, they may be just uh, simple employees or not even that. So this, for me, makes for great leadership. Obviously, there's all these different companies. There's different not-for-profits. There's all sorts of leaders in all sorts of areas. Uh, it's not just the public ones. Jacinda Ardern has often been um, quoted as being a great leader, and she's obviously through the pandemic and through a number of other things got international fame. Fantastic example, yes. Uh, yes, of course. In terms of crisis management, I think she certainly is one of the um, of the, the bright shining lights uh, uh, at, the, at the sort of national leadership level, if you want. And indeed, there's, uh, there's academic work on her, on her leadership style that truly sort of uh, highlighted some of the the important elements that made for great leadership in that situation. The willingness to to take bold measures, if needed, even against you know all this uncertainty that was there at the beginning of the pandemic, was was certainly one of these elements. Clearly, a person who uh, who at all times uh, put the, her followers, in this case the people, front and center in all the measures 
that she took and her government took, and that certainly have been unpopular on many other levels, right? If I think about the economy, bold action where there was the importance for doing so uh, under uncertainty uh, in the interests of the people. And a sense of humility too, isn't there? And a, a some sort of, and that's that human touch, I guess. Absolutely. So humility is 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 hugely important, and you you find this in in, in various leadership concepts and ideas uh, uh, reflected, right? Um, think about uh, level five leadership, um, but 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 also I think an authentic leadership. So humility is an important important aspect of effective leadership as well. Yes. So finally, just a few words about then our, for our school leaders. How can they be transformational leaders? I think a leader needs to be authentic, right? That's, of course, that's hugely important. A leader needs to have the interests of her or his uh, people at heart. A leader needs to um, really believe in a, in, in, in a vision uh, and, and have a direction to lead uh, the employees and the team. These are all important elements that that uh, are sort of mirrored in, in, in various of these academic concepts we have on effective leadership. And they certainly apply just just equally to the to the school context, where where I think people management is hugely important. Thank you, Andreas. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Great pleasure. <laughs> you can learn more about Dr. Andreas Richter and Cambridge Judge Business School courses via their website. Listeners eager to delve further into this subject can read my research feature in briefings November-December 2020 and check out the media and crisis management offerings for 2021 on the ISQ website or in our professional learning and events prospectus. You have been listening to The School Bell, an independent schools Queensland podcast. To learn more about Independent Schools Queensland, visit our website, isq.qld.edu.au. To catch our next episode or listen to some previous podcasts, you can subscribe to ISQ's The School Bell on iTunes or Google Play. You can also listen via our website or wherever you get your podcasts.